Whenever I try and invite her to anything literary, she's like, will Rob be there? <laughs> and the answer is always no. The answer is always no. Therefore, I never get her to come out. Like, I've so. seen him at Bad Language once he performed, and yeah. it was such a great night, but oh. he never comes back. I've given up going, hey, come to this thing. No, 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 no he's not interested. He's a, the dude is a misanthrope. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like writing nights, but I get so wound up when there's shit. Are we recording? Yeah. Hello, this is the End of All Things podcast, and I'm Rob Cutford. That was, oh, I'm feeling a bit asthmatic. Hang on. Those were the voices of Kate Feld and Abby Farrow, the two people I interview in this podcast, two writers in Manchester. And I suppose that that should act as a warning to you. If you are on this podcast and you say nice things to or about me, they go right at the start. So I don't think they even realize they're being recorded. So that's, you know, it's my podcast. I'll put on whatever I want. And if you say nice things, it goes on the front. Um, it's the middle of October in Manchester, England. So I'm miserable, and it's miserable outside. I I don't know if you can hear it, but I'm asthmatic as well, despite the fact I've taken my inhaler. So they've given me the brown inhaler, which is terrifying because it's got steroids in it. I have no idea what it's doing to me, but hopefully it's helping. And when I went, she gave me a flu shot as well. And I think, I don't know, I'm constantly amazed by the NHS, really, they just had flu shots hanging around and I went in for one thing and they said, well, while you're here, while you're here, why don't you get this as well? They're actually, it's like added extras. Like where else on the planet do you go to the doctor and you come away with more, when I say you come away with more cures than you went in looking for. Anyway, so yeah, obviously I've got my flu shot, I've got my new inhaler and I got my parka, so I'm ready. It's uh, Captain Nerdboy is ready for winter. Um, you think I'd be used to the cold because I'm from Canada, but I'm not. I don't like the cold, and I especially don't like England cold because it's wet at the same time. I don't really understand it. I still don't get the science behind how it can be below zero and raining. Uh, but that there's nothing worse than that. And I come from a place where it hits minus 40 on a regular basis. I will take minus 40 over that minus five raining bullshit any day. It's not natural. Um, yeah, so which is why. I mean, it's a sign of the apocalypse. It's an yet another sign of the apocalypse. And you'll notice really quickly if you do listen to these podcasts, and there's going to be a number of them, <laughs> lucky you, um, that I am obsessed by the end of the world, um, the impending, our impending doom that we seem to be running very quickly toward, uh, I mean, the clues in the names, the end of all things. I write post-apocalyptic fiction. That's 
that's where my head is at and I can't see it changing anytime soon. I've, I've, I've been trying to come up with other ideas to write about, but it just ends up being more, more dreadful, terrible things that I'm doing to the human race because it gives me joy. Have I even talked about Kate and Abby? I can't remember now. Anyway, they're two women, very good writers. Um, Kate is, if you've had anything to do with literature in Manchester, you've heard of Kate Feld. She runs a blog called The Manchizzle, which is, uh, which is basically, it was written up in The Guardian for being one of the best blogs in, I don't know, on the planet. Who knows? And she's also, she's heavily involved with the Manchester Literature Festival, which we talk about in the podcast quite a bit. Um, and she's also got a night, she does a night, her and uh, Nija Dalal Small have a night called The Real Story. And it's about, it's, if you want to perform creative nonfiction, that's the night for you. I think one of the things that Manchester does better than other places, especially in the UK, is literature nights. If you are a writer or a poet or even a stand-up, Manchester is quite a, a great place to be. So the real story talks about creative nonfiction, which is something I know very little about. And Abby Farrow, who does a night called First Draft. And her night is more fiction and prose, but it can be, to be honest, it can be virtually anything. Uh, we talk about her night as well in the um, in the podcast. We also talk about my terrible attempts at sex, writing about sex. Uh... We get into all kinds of crazy shit. We even get a bit metaphysical about when is fiction fiction? Is anything nonfiction anymore? Yes, is the answer. I recorded the podcast on the roof of the Manchester Literature Festival Terrace, which overlooks Edge Street in the northern quarter. And which so you can hear throughout the podcast the people from the bars below it because it's a Saturday night. I thought, you know, it's not difficult enough to do my first podcast under controlled conditions. I should do it outside and above a bar um, in the Northern Quarter. So there's sirens and it's cold. So it sounds like Abby and I are fighting the plague with a sniffle. So it's basically, you know, listen out for all that exciting stuff. The main subjects of this one are feminism and performance, really. Yeah, and we actually talk about... Um, trying to make a living as writers, which is pretty fucking difficult. So anyway, this, I'm going to stop talking now. And this is the interview with Kate Feld and Abby Farrell. Enjoy. I don't really understand literature nights. I do understand them. Yeah. I like when it's good, it's great. But you'll see someone great and you go, wow, that was really good. And then it'll be surrounded by six people who are utter shit. But you know, you've got, like, I don't know. I've, I've had, like, a couple of really disheartening literature, well, several disheartening literature nights lately. But that one or two people, for me, makes it yeah. totally yeah. worth it. You know what I mean? Like, that crazy magic of, holy shit, this person yeah. is yeah. really good. Or this person isn't really good now but they're gonna be really good yeah and like there's something there you know what i mean yeah but no you unfortunately you've got to take the you know yeah the rough with the smooth for that. yeah and i feel like and i don't i don't have an experience of it outside of manchester because i only kind of grew into this stuff being here 
but I feel like we have a really lovely, supportive, forgiving community where that's the norm. The norm is that you go to a night and if one or two are great, that's a good night. That's yeah. that's completely acceptable. And if you have a bad night as a performer, it, it, it's fine because everybody accepts. Although I made the mistake because we're first draft and that's what we do. I made the mistake of reading a first draft at Bad Language once and I did learn that lesson that that's not, that's not okay. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> that didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bad Language, they're, they're pretty big time now, yeah, aren't they? Because they've like, won Best Night in yeah, the UK yeah. or something ridiculous. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Do you want to talk about your nights? And uh, the first question I have, obviously, is uh, the real story that is yours. What is creative nonfiction? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, look, creative nonfiction is a, f a term that kind of freaks people out. They go, oh, God, what the hell is that? That sounds not fun. Um, but the thing is, it is just creative writing based in fact. That's mm -hmm. it. That's it. So lying. Yeah, basically lying mm -hmm. artfully. Okay. Yeah. Um, lying but, so nobody notices you're lying. Lying, yeah. but with elements of truth in it. Right. Um, so you can't, how much lying can you do and it still be creative nonfiction? You know, that's the question. That's what makes it interesting. That's what I don't understand. That's the bit that I'm confused about because when I've written stuff uh, and I thought, oh, that's creative nonfiction, you've looked, like the Will Self thing, and you looked at that and you went, no, that's, that's because that's complete bullshit. And I was like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> Is that what I said? We well, didn't say complete bullshit. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. I'm paraphrasing. I said, <laughs> you said, you said, that's not creative nonfiction, that's fiction because. I created this. Yeah, because you you turned Will Self into a vampire. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and you said that he actually like like grabbed someone I and started sucking his neck. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But he did that metaphorically. Yeah, he did. But um, but you know, it, that's that's fiction. Like yeah. the thing is, you usually creative nonfiction. If you're writing about something that happened a long time ago, a lot of people use their own lives as material, mm -hmm. their own experiences. And if you're writing about something that happened a long time ago, of course you can't remember exactly okay. who so you said what. So you kind of have to yeah. weave it, you know what I mean, out of memory, mm -hmm. this kind of mishmash of memory and fact and mm -hmm. kind of, you know, the way our minds misremember things. Um, I mean, is any like is anything purely fiction or non-fiction in the world? No, of no. course not. So I kind of feel like increasingly these distinctions between non-fiction and fiction are kind of meaningless to me. But um, but the the thing about creative non-fiction is it is kind of knowingly working with the facts as its starting point. Mm -hmm. But it's using literary devices, and it is. A, kind of consciously writerly mm -hmm. in its expression yeah. so that's it really right okay and presumably one of the big differences is how it's received because it's the expectation that is that is that that's what terrifies me about creative non-fiction is that i use my life loads for my fiction but if anyone asks me is that about you i get to go now it's just it's just made yeah. up it's, it's, just, yeah. lady. it's just i just made that up <laughs> with creative non-fiction you start from the opposite point where people assume it's about you yeah um so can you do creative nonfiction about someone else? Oh yeah, of course. Right. I mean, you know, the, one of my favorite creative nonfiction writers is a guy called Joseph Mitchell, who wrote for the New Yorker in like the 30s and 40s, and uh, he he did a lot of what's called reportage about this, these characters in New York City. Um, and you know, it's one of those things where he's writing about just ordinary people, but of course 
there aren't any ordinary people and he kind of was able to bring out how extraordinary they were and they were like longshoremen and like a graveyard tenders and people like that but you know it's kind of there's been like a, a real hubbub lately because he wrote this incredible prose and you know a, a lot of people loved his work but it's kind of come out lately that he may have embellished mm -hmm. the truth he may have made up quotes he may have created composite characters and all mm -hmm. this you know so there's a lot of people oh, wringing their hands about this i kind of don't give a crap about mm -hmm. if he made up yeah. things you're allowed to swear by the way if you want yeah okay <laughs> i don't give a shit about it okay <laughs> that's that's what i really wanted to say i mean i think that the story is is everything has to be in the service of the story and if it's a great story and it, something happened you know if you want to put in something that didn't really happen or something that someone didn't really say, then it kind of doesn't bother me, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's not, in journalistic terms, it's not no. nonfiction. Then, right. You know? Okay. So what's first draft then? So first draft... Your um, night, I mean. My night is... Um, is a, we call it a cabaret night, which is kind of the closest we can get, I think, to explaining what we do because we're, we're a lot like other literature nights, but as well as literature, we do uh, comedy and theatre and music um, and, so that, and sometimes other things. We had an acrobat once. It was weird. Mm. Um, so we, it sort of happened by accident. It was something that I started with a friend of mine. We'd graduated from, um, from theatre school together and kind of gone. We, we're both kind of we're both writing stuff that we're not ready to perform properly yet but we want to wear it with an audience and let's sort of let's try something out and it was just to, up to rooms full of friends to begin with and then it sort of had a life of its own and now yeah. it now it kind of does its thing regardless and gets a crowd of people that I don't know down and yeah I was terrified when I read it you were, <laughs> you, were you were really scared yeah which was because funny <laughs> because of the diversity yeah. Like with bad language and other things, when they've got like yeah. kind of a theme and they've got a kind of a group, you kind of know what you're getting yourself yeah. into. Whereas yours, the, I think the guy before, there was like a skit, skit they did a skit <laughs> yeah, before me, yeah. and I had like the most depressing, horrible thing to read, and I thought, this is not going to go well. And then it did. It did. It totally did. So I did. don't understand. And I do, there is some thought that goes behind the programming so we we quite often now work with a, a prompt or a theme right. and I think one of the reasons that other nights don't necessarily need that is because they have more consistency in what people mm -hmm. the kind of form that people are performing because we don't have that because people could come up and do anything it, it kind of helps to have something to tie the night onto mm -hmm. um, and also because our focus is new work we try and encourage people to come and do stuff that is either unfinished or they haven't performed very much before, or is a, a work in progress of some kind, or quite often is written for us now, which is really lovely. Right. Um, and we've always tried to encourage that, so having a prompt or a theme kind of makes yeah. pe pushes people to do something new quite often. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I think people imagine it might be intimidating, particularly if they're they're just writers and like my background is theatre, so mm -hmm. that feels normal to me. But for other people, it can be scary. But we're actually, I think, one of the most laid back nights that yeah. go out. Like we really we will take pretty much anything yeah, and have yeah. a go. So um, yeah, I try and tell people that it, it it's about as supportive a room as you can get. Mm -hmm. That people are very ready to take anything and have a good time with it. Usually. Yeah, and I think in a lot of nights like that. If you're funny, hmm. you're okay. If you're if you're not, if you're funny, you, you're, it's a bit risky. 
I feel like I battle against that and actually Adam, um, who's reading creative nonfiction for the first time with us next week, um, I think is quite worried about the fact that he's reading something serious and yeah. it yeah, of course, you do a cabaret night, particularly if you've got some comics on the lineup, people kind of assume it's gonna be all about funny, but the way I the way I program the lineup as well is very much about balancing. You'll have you'll have a funny one and then we'll tone it down for a few acts yeah. and then it might mm -hmm. come up again. And I do think about all that stuff and um I think I wouldn't want to run a night that was that was only funny material because yeah. that's a that's a sketch night and that's yeah, not totally. what we do. So hopefully you get a sort of a a, a wave of that you know it, the night can move yeah. mood um, and hopefully we sustain that most most of the time. Right. So you guys are doing something together. Is that right? Yeah, we, we are. are. Can, you talk, can you talk about it? Yes, yeah. it's called The Night Before, The Night Before, The Night Before, The Night Before Christmas. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> how, many, how many nights is that? Four. Cool. Right, okay. Um, we picked that name because we thought it just kind of rolled off the tongue and it was easy for people to remember um, because that is the actual night that it's happening. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's just a bit of fun, to be honest with you. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we are big fans of each other's nights, us at The Real Story and Abby and her gang at First Draft. We've read at each other's nights. It seemed to make sense for us to get together to do a big, silly Christmas party. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty so that's much basically what, what it is. is. It's yeah. just a Christmas party. Okay. Yeah. So there the, will be readings. Right. But yeah. So will there be any rules about what people can read? I don't think so. No, not no. really. I mean, okay. everyone's aware, everyone that... We're going to invite some people to come and read. We're not sure if there's going to be an open mic or not yet, but everybody that we're asking will know that it's a Christmas party, so that's mm -hmm. the vibe. But if people don't want to read Christmas stories, there's, there's no need for them yeah. to do so. I think the only thing that's certain is that I'm going to make everyone sing Christmas carols oh like God. I did last year at First Draft. Because that was great. In uh, fact, I'm going to make you I, stand on the stage by yourself you. it's not going to happen. Christmas I will sing something from the Grinch <laughs> Christmas, maybe. Oh, I'll hold you to that. that I'm sure we can work that out somehow I, uh, I can't think of one. Oh, I'll sing uh, the Pogues one Excellent, I <laughs> yeah, can do the okay. Christy McCall part yeah. and you can do the Shane Anybody can do the Shane McGowan part I want that to happen Why am I saying <laughs> that? We should really do that <laughs> That'd be <laughs> that's horrifying. Get Andrew to accompany you on guitar, it'll be Oh my god, so you good. should totally do that. <laughs> it'll be hilarious because we're obviously we're both not at all British in any yeah. way. Yeah, but neither is neither are they. Yeah. <laughs> well, kind of. I think we sound more Irish than English people do. Oh, that's probably true. Yeah. Depends anyway. how much whiskey we've had to drink. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's going on with uh, the Manchester Literature Festival. We're on the balcony, so you we're might on, talk about we're, that. We're stealing the roof terrace to record this podcast. Um, just to give you a sense of what's happening today, I've just been at the wonderful Don Patterson and Rami Smith event that we did with Poets and Players, um, and I'm going on to Catherine Williams' performance of Songs Inspired by Sylvia Plath. Um, <laughs> Can you tell I write the brochure? <laughs> yes. um, so yes, yeah, so I work for Manchester Literature Festival. I do a bunch of different stuff for them, mostly around publicizing the program and social media. Yes. Um, I host events. Um, it's our 10th anniversary this year, so it's a big deal for us. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's a lot of, this is a very busy, fun time for me. Yeah. 
So, yeah. Are you, have you seen anything yet, Abby? Yeah, well, like, Kate recruits me as one of her many happy bloggers who <laughs> get free tickets to stuff and then write about it. So yeah. I'm currently trying to work out how to write about the uh, Yates event that we were at the other night. <laughs> um, to it, uh, at which I made a lot, a lot of notes, but which is, is not really coming together into anything anyone want to read yeah. at the moment, so we'll see. But um, yeah, no, I love the Literature Festival. Um, I usually go to the sermon, actually. I love the sermon at the Cathedral. I think that's a brilliant idea. But um, no, I, haven't, I didn't go this year, but yeah. that's one of my favourites. The one thing I've seen, because uh, I'm all about the headline act, of course, is uh, Margaret Atwood. Yes. Yeah. And this is my, uh, this is my uh, segue into the next bit of the podcast, Excellent. which is it, feminism, basically. Uh, Margaret Atwood, in the thing I saw at Manchester Literature Festival, said, in this day and age, and because women are 51 or 2 percent of the population, you cannot have a novel without women in it, uh, unless it's Moby Dick, she said. Ah. Do you think there's one any... One man and a whale. Yeah. Is there any time where you think that a book can just have one sex in it, whether it's male or female? Uh, I mean, I, I, I think it would be an interesting literary device. Mm. Um, I wouldn't have a problem with it if it was like that, but I think that if it, you know, just, you know, I think what she's talking about is if women, female characters are kind of bit, bit parts and all the action happens between great important males, mm -hmm. um, then yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah. Um, wouldn't be interested in reading that book, I yeah. have to say, um, because it's not really going to be interesting to me but for many 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 years this is what literature was mm -hmm. or it was much more acceptable to write this kind of literature yeah um now yeah no actually i've been reading a room of one's own by virginia wolf uh just just lately where she talks about this a lot um and she talks about th this this i think it's an essay i don't it's a book but it's just basically a long essay and it's wonderful it's the kind of thing you can like turn to any page at and she's just being brilliant mm -hmm. about something else you know and so there's this whole section i've just read about how um there's a male way of writing like there's a male sentence that um women just like shouldn't try to write in this way because it's that's she says has this great phrase like that's the stride of the male mind <laughs> um you know in action and that's great for them but like what women needed to do uh, was to find their own mode to write in. And for years and years, like, they didn't. And then kind of Jane Austen came along mm -hmm. and worked it out, essentially. And yeah. so, like, that, that changed everything. I think it's interesting you say that because one of the problems I find myself when I'm trying to write uh, female characters is that, and Abby can attest to this because she's in my writing group, it just ends up being me in a dress. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't. No, that's <laughs> you, an interesting thought. Though. It's, yeah. it, it's an, an interesting read, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but you but you've leveled the same completely fairly the same criticism at me. I remember the first piece I was bringing in to to our writers group was um, from the perspective of a ten year old boy, and you were going, "Look, Abby, it's not. This isn't a ten year old boy. This is yeah. this is you in shorts." Wow. So, 
It's because it's very, very introspective, yeah. if I remember correctly, you know, and, and quite mature. <laughs> and I think, yeah, yeah you, you, to have such mature thoughts and, you know, to, you know, question your own but I, but I learned, place I in learned, the world as a 10-year-old boy. just. But it was a really important, it was a really important comment and something that I think has made my writing better because I now hear your voice in my head if I'm writing uh -oh. male characters and I go, oh, would Rob, would Rob pass this? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think that, you know, what fiction does is try to... That what the fiction writer is doing is trying to get into someone else's experience, mm. okay? It could be circumstances, geography, you know, everything is different. It could be writing about aliens on some other planet. But whatever it is, I hope we don't stop trying to do that, yeah. you know? We're going to be mm -hmm. crap at it sometimes, but, like, let's keep trying to do it, you know? Totally. And I think... Because I, it's interesting, I once proposed a PhD topic that got shot down about... Um, about gender in playwriting. Playwriting is my background. Um, and it got shot down as being a bit 70s and a bit kind of, we're over that, we don't talk about that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, I can't, I do think it's interesting to talk about gender in writing, but I also kind of agree with the point that none of us should limit the scope of what we write according to our gender. And I, I like, I think like most girls who grow up reading uh, sci-fi and fantasy, like I did, we we grow up reading male authors, and that's the norm. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's one of the reasons where in in a lot of women's writing you get a fairly even split between the genders, and in men's writing you just get men writing about men because for us we've always grown up reading about men, and that's normal. Mm, yeah. Men's stories don't feel inaccessible to us because that's all we had yeah. for quite a long time. Um, I do think so, there's a part of and just, uh, and you can mm. um, whether this is forgivable or not, but I can, speaking from my own writing, especially as a young man, the idea of writing about what a woman thinks or like and feels and it couldn't have been more foreign really. So it's, I, I think it's quite a tricky thing for men. And I think a lot of men especially if you're trying to get something published will just fall back on what's easier. Hmm. And I think that's probably natural for yeah, a lot like, of people, really. Yeah, like most of it. Like, I know, I know my female characters are better written and more interesting than my male characters. More and complex. Then, yeah. <laughs> but um, I suppose if I'm trying to write from a male perspective, then I think about men that I know well. So I think mm. about, you know, they're, they're quite often they're in some, they're some way based on, on one of the men in my life. Um, because that's my that's my only way in yeah, of yeah, experience yeah. about. But I don't know. I, I I'm also wary of polarizing too much because I actually don't think most of the time there is a way that men think and a way that women think. There no, are I think that's a fair. few biological things that mean we're very different, but be, much beyond that, yeah, I think we're kind of all the same. Um, so I'm always a bit wary of kind of going, well, women only do or think like this and men only, because yeah. it's, it's never mm -hmm. always true. Mm. No. No. Yeah. Do you think feminism-wise, and this is another thing that Margaret Atwood said, is that we're kind of retrograding, or that we're going backwards a bit as far as feminist thinking is concerned. And yeah, I mean, this is a difficult one. I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, for me, culturally, it's quite difficult to tell because I am from America, which... I have to say, um, is more advanced when it comes to issues around feminism. Um, I mean, I, I was raised in a very kind of, you know, post-women's liberation right on household. I think we should um, say that that's because you grew up in New York. Which is <laughs> well, I grew up in Vermont, yeah. you know, that's even worse. Yeah. Um, raised by New York, by hippie New Yorkers, you know, but like, 
But when I came over here, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how backwards this country was uh, in its attitudes. I mean, it's, it's almost like when I'm talking to people my own age here, uh, it's like I'm talking to people who are 10 years older mm -hmm. culturally mm -hmm. because, you know, the kind of ideology, you know, and I'm not saying like, obviously my friends are wonderful people and are, you know, right thinking individuals, but there is this lag here. There's this cultural lag that is very noticeable, very noticeable to me. Um, so I find it really difficult sometimes uh, to deal with. Um, and that's the one thing that I definitely miss is mm -hmm. that, you know, there's kind of, there is this very old fashioned kind of sexism yeah. here. It's still very prevalent. I think the thing I noticed right away when I first moved over here with my wife, who's English, is that when we, like in Canada, we would do stuff all together. And it was like, well, all your oh, friends, and you would, yeah, yeah, we'd all be together and we'd, you know, you'd hang out with the yeah. same people. Yep. Whereas in England, it's like, oh, the boys do this we, and no, the girls do that. We have that big time here. And I'm very lucky because I grew up in a little liberal bubble and that now I live my life in a little liberal arty bubble and I don't venture out of it before, unless I don't have to. But as soon as I do, as soon as I'm, as soon as I leave this lovely little literature world, yeah, the boys, the boys do boy things and the yeah. girls do girl things, and it's horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's really yeah. depressing and boring. And like, I don't mind if it is, if it was something like every now and again, you know, stag do's and hen, hen do's yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, completely reasonable. I mean, I but, still hate those things, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I'll have yeah. a horrible time. But we yeah, fine, like things. go yeah, for it. I yeah. don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. We went to Amsterdam the last one. That was pretty fun, I have to say. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a no. I mean, but the question about whether we're all moving backwards is difficult to narrow down to in culture. Um, I don't think so. On the whole, on the whole, I feel like it's probably moving in the right direction, but very, very, very slowly. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it's it's hilarious that we're talking about this just as a bunch of lads underneath. <laughs> <laughs> just to emphasize the point, really. I um, think you know, on. just stuff, and I think the Everyday Sexism Project has met, think things like that on social media have maybe made it feel like we're moving backwards, but I think what they've actually done is just gone, hey guys, this still happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it is stuff like, so for for the all the lovely men in, in my life are probably not, you know, because if they're with me, it won't happen. But as soon as, you know, in, in Didsbury, where I lived the other night, I'm walking home and a, and a van full of lads shout at me and it's like, this doesn't happen in front of other men, so no. you won't notice it. And we, we still have all of that stuff that we've got to work out. Well, I think you, we've got that as well. That's not just a, that's oh, not, no, that, that's not just an England no, thing. Not at all. Oh, no, not um, yeah. It's everywhere. And I think a, a lot of women are used to playing it down, maybe. Like, I remember growing up in quite a... I grew up in Preston, which <laughs> where you go out when you're 15 in Preston, you sort of just expect that you'll be groped several times in a night, and Jesus that well, you wouldn't even really? comment on it. You just that's just a night. That's just seriously a club. Yeah, yeah, totally, like wouldn't even yeah. didn't occur to me as a teenager that it was weird or upsetting yeah. or anything. Like sorry, just, Preston, that was normal. <laughs> Um, but I don't think that I don't think that's particularly location specific. I think that's probably being a 15 wow. year old girl, and you go, yeah, yeah. Um, and. We, you know, we've still got a long way to go, but I think, I mean, I'm really lucky. I don't feel particularly able to 
comment on most of it because most of my life feels like it hasn't been very affected by my gender. So yeah. I've been really, really lucky there. Mm. Have you ever read something in a book that made you chuck it across the room because it was... I, I don't want to say, like... Not, maybe not necessarily just because it was sexist, but because it was something that wound you up. I usually ditch books because they bore me. Books yeah. by men that treat female characters... Like what? Or just write them stereotypically. So what was I reading? I was reading Winter in Madrid... Um, that I've had it's one of those books that like by the 17th person to recommend it to me I was like fine I'll read it I'll mm. have a look um, and it's CJ Sampson I've enjoyed some of his like Pillars mm. of the Earth and I've enjoyed some of his other books and I got halfway through that and I got halfway through a like chapter long description of the main female character who is one of these um you know, she was an ugly child, so she um, she's just always self-conscious, even though she's actually beautiful, and only, oh, only men in her life can see it. And wow, you know, she's kind of standing there in the mirror, and what what was it? There's, people have written about this much more, much funnier than I can talk about it. But uh, hair standing in for personality, so mm. <laughs> redheads yeah. being fiery, and oh, you God. know, wild curly hair. Oh, and she can't be controlled. All of this, oh, right. shit. yeah. And you just go, I'm. It's just boring. I just, I can't read any more about her. Like, yeah, you know, that that was her only defining characteristic yeah. was that she worried about her freckles, and I'm just oh, like, it's so I'm, ridiculous. I'm bored. I'd, I'm not even angry. I just, why would I read that? Yeah, yeah I'm really. Because I host events for the Literature Festival, I have to read a lot of books yeah. that I kind of have to finish, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And sometimes I love them and sometimes I don't. But I'm really, in the course of that, I also read a lot of reviews of these mm -hmm. books. And um, this kind of makes me think of this woman called Melan Tan, who is a wonderful short story writer who uh, I hosted an event with the other night. And she writes incredible stories. But she writes a lot about sex mm -hmm. um, in a very kind of matter-of-fact way. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something, I think she writes about sex really well. I didn't ask her about it because it kind of wasn't pertinent mm -hmm. to our conversation. But I noticed in all the reviews, it was mentioned. Like it was, mm -hmm. in all the reviews by men, it was mentioned a lot. You know? And it's kind of like, I don't know. I just think that I'm really interested in women writing about sex and how that's mm -hmm. perceived, you know? Because um, I think there are a lot of interesting things going on there. Mm -hmm. uh, I mm. find the whole idea of it terrifying. What, writing what, about women sex? writing about sex? No, just any writing <laughs> about sex full stop. <laughs> no, I tried it once and it was like the most embarrassing. I knew as I was writing it as well. I was, when I put it to the... Did you guys read it? No, I, I thank God. I never. You've not read it. <laughs> that was in the back. When I, when I, <laughs> I submitted it to the Manchester Spec Fit group. And uh, it was funny because... The guys were all like, oh, yeah, yeah it's all right. And the girls were like, right. <laughs> I had like a list of things to say. And there was a bit, there's a bit in it. Oh, I'm not even going to say. No, come on, you have to. Uh, Go on. You can edit it out of your own podcast. He, yes, <laughs> and I'm going to, yeah. It's, <laughs> he basically, <they're, laughs> I can't say <laughs> You it. have to. He catches a look of, like, it's, some, it's, it's happening, right? Mm. And what sex is? Yeah, that, sex is see, I can't happening. even say it. I can't even say it. I can't write about it. It's ridiculous. And I think that like it was like lightning strikes outside, and it they can see themselves, and they just kind of uh, I'm that's they're talking about themselves and what they can see, and he's describing himself. And uh, so that sounds quite interesting. Does it? Yeah. Okay, right. He's fine. describing what he looks like during sex. During sex. <laughs> yes. That's quite interesting. Whoa. No, it's weird. It's no, weird, weird, but it's interesting. Interesting. Well, maybe I'll put it back in. <laughs> <laughs> um, the one thing I want to 
ask you, Kate, because you're literally the only person I know who is making a living as a writer. No, that's incorrect. I am not making a living as a writer. Right, okay. I mean, I am trying to make a living as a writer. Yeah. Yes, it's true. Yeah, um, you're making money. Actual I'm making money. money. I am making actual money. Yeah, how do you do it? Um, well, because I started off in journalism, mm -hmm. um, so my kind of career trajectory is um, I started working in journalism when I was 25 in newspapers in America. Um, went to grad school for that, stupidly, um, and then ended up at a newswire in New York, and then kind of came over here, and I met a guy, came over here, and continued to work professionally in journalism mm -hmm. because I had experience. So now, I'm not doing so much journalism, I am doing a bit of it, mm -hmm. um, but I'm also lecturing in journalism oh, right. um, over at the University of Salford. I am still doing a little bit of freelance journalism but increasingly my work is around creative writing and that's a very conscious thing yeah is that i want to move into that area more how do you make money in creative writing um full stop this is the question right so uh, i make money by teaching workshops mm -hmm. uh this summer i did some workshops uh through fact in liverpool with uh, young people um writing stories that would kind of be fed through into a text adventure game that they were doing. Yeah. So um, it was really cool. I really enjoyed that. That was kind of like a big project that lasted over the summer. I've done all kinds of workshops, including blogging and social media workshops for artists and writers, for all kinds of training. Um, I run a little uh, Open Stories, which is like a, a writing um, kind of writing organization so we used to run the blog north awards ostensibly we kind of run the real story but we put in for arts council funding periodically and i get paid to do the work that i do out of that mm -hmm. um you know on a project basis i work for the literature festival yeah. uh, which is not full-time yeah. it's seasonal kind of part-time um and really i just do whatever sometimes i do copywriting like advertising copywriting sometimes i write brochure copy sometimes i do social media work Increasingly, I'm starting to get commissions which pay mm -hmm. um, and get paid for performances just a little bit, which is really nice because that makes you feel like, wow, I am actually making money from writing stories, yeah. you know, which is cool. But it's really, it's a lot of work. You have to hustle, yeah. you know, and uh, it's not, it's not really fun. No. Um, I also get help from the government. I mean, I get working tax credits because this, this career that I have doesn't pay very well, mm -mm. you know? Um, so what is my kind of end goal? Well, probably to publish a book at some point, um, maybe lecture on creative writing at some point, or continue lecturing in another kind of writing, mm -hmm. maybe get a job for, I don't know, something to do with writing, but there aren't so many of them around Manchester. No. Nope. So, you know, my prospects aren't good. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a nice way to end. Yeah. <laughs> on a depressing note. But it no, is. No, we can't end on that note. Okay. No, no. Well, I mean, it is, though. It's depressing. Like, there's just no money in writing at all. There is really. no money in it. But come on. You don't do it for the money. Okay. Yeah. This is, we will end on the redemptive. <laughs> you do it because you have to do it. Right. And I tried doing bunches of other things. Nothing makes me as happy as doing writing. Yeah. So I'm content to not ever have that much money as long yeah. as I get to keep doing this. Yeah. That's kind of, that's the deal, you yeah. know? Yeah. Brilliant. Well, that, that, that that's a lot nicer. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, so thanks guys. No really appreciate it. Thank you. So, did you make it all the way to the end? Are you still there? If you want to be part of Abby or Kate's Nights, if you want to do First Draft or The Real Story, you can contact them on Twitter simply by Googling their names. Uh, unfortunately for you, Abby has about 800 names. I've called her Abby Farrow in this podcast, and I can almost feel her bristling as she's probably listening to this right now. Um, her actual name is Abby Farrow uh, Arias Hines Mohammed Singh Smith Jones. So good luck. Find her on that. Um, you probably have a better shot at Googling first draft Manchester. And uh, Kate Feld, she's, you can contact her a number of ways. She's got her blog, The Man Shizzle, as I mentioned before. Or you can just find, find her on Twitter. It's at uh, Kate Feld, F-E-L-D. And if you want to be a part of this podcast, my website, I'm just going to, can you, if I Google the end of all things, does my website even come up? No, no, it doesn't. I, it, this is why, oh shit, I'm not even on the first page. Right. How would if I put quotes around it? Oh, well, that's not done anything. Nope. Right. Google me at Rob Cutforth. I think that will come up. Boom! I'm top of the list when you do that. RobertCutforth.com But I mean, if you found this podcast, you already know how to contact me. So do it. It dep- If you're really famous, I'll come find you. Um, I'll come to your house. Uh, if you want. I'm mobile. This motherfucker moves. And if you have no interest in being a part of any of these things, well, hey, thanks for listening anyhow. Um, I'm surprised you made it all the way to the end, but, you know, well done. <laughs>